irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only on LA Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. I have physical offices in both Los Angeles and New Orleans. You can find me online through my website, which is nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy, where you can book sessions via Skype, in person, on location, by phone, and FaceTime. You can find archived episodes of this show and subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, and Google Play. So today is March 2nd. It is my one-year anniversary show being on the air with LA Talk Radio. And I'm, I'm, you know, when I look back on a year ago in March, it's been a, lot, a year of a lot of changes, a lot of growth as I've come to learn a lot about myself. And I just feel really grateful for all the support that I have gotten from so many people and the guests that have agreed to come on this show. And, you know, as I look back to a year ago, I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to even stay in Los Angeles. I went through a really challenging and hard at the time situation. And one of the biggest lessons I've learned as I've navigated some really big things in the last year is that life, you know, if you're open, will use everything to bring you to that next place that you do really want to be in, in your life. It might not come looking like that. It's often disguised, you know, through a painful experience, an ending, a transition. And I've really learned and have been able to embrace that with every change, it does bring you, if you're open, to exactly where you want to be, being in alignment with your higher purpose, and to just keep articulating that to yourself and to the universe. And so as a way to just give back, because I'm feeling so grateful for this year of being on the air, anyone listening who has never been my client, I am offering a complimentary therapy session via phone, Skype, FaceTime, or in person. Just mention when you reach out that you heard this show, it's a $150 session that I'm giving as a gift just to give back for all that I have been blessed with in this last year through my guests. And that brings me to my guest today who really embodies taking what has happened and and allowing it to to bring her and bring others to their their next place in their lives. In just a few moments, I'm going to bring on Randy Pizer. She wears many hats that she loves wearing. Uh, number one, she's an author of two books. One of them is Crappy to Happy that we're going to speak about today. The other is The Power of Miracle Thinking. She's a speaker. She's the founder and owner of Author One Stop and provides services such as manuscript analysis, editing, book coaching, 
She helps you find a literary agent or publisher, and she has been awarded for her contributions in many national bestsellers. And I have been working with her since November on a book as well. So welcome, Brandy Pizer. Thank you very much. How are you today? I'm excited to be here and excited to be speaking with people and listening and, I mean, sharing whatever you'd like to, to speak about. Sure. Well, I'm I'm wondering because I'd love to talk about Crappy to Happy and talk about everything you offer people and questions that I have, you know, before I met you and heard you at the Live, Love, Thrive conference speaking on things like self-publishing versus finding a publisher, ideas to title, nonfiction books, how to get a book deal, how to position yourself. So I don't know if you want to start with your professional work or, or with Crappy to Happy, your book. Well, I can start with some professional work. I think that would be fine because I, I encourage all of us to always live from our passion. And one of my biggest passions is to get people book deals. I love to get people book deals. <laughs> awesome. What I'm talking about is getting people contracts with top literary agents, top publishers. Because that's what I do. My company, we analyze manuscripts, we edit manuscripts, we ghostwrite books. And we prepare all the necessary materials to pitch projects to agents and publishers. Then I help people secure agents and publishers, depending on the project. Some will go directly to agents. Some will bring directly to publishers. And for me, this is fun. This is my fun. So I'm very grateful to be working in my passion. And so I I know on your website you... um talk about or I read it somewhere or just even hearing you speak about a book deal and this event coming up bookexpo.com that you've attended for at least 16 years oh, yeah let, let me explain let me explain what that is sure. uh, my website is www.authoronestop.com all letters authoronestop.com and you're referring to book expo america so book expo america which you can find at bookexpoamerica.com is the feeding frenzy for the publishing industry in the United States. Publishers come from all over the world, and but this is like the biggie for that happens in the U.S. And when I mean it's the feeding frenzy, they're usually held in New York. And if you can imagine somebody going a New York, like, you know, speaking a mile a minute, so everything's going really, really fast. So, you know, agents are looking for the publishers and the authors are looking for agents and the publishers are looking for distributors and everybody's, it's just like that level of craziness. And for me, it's my playground. And this is where I go once a year to pitch books live. So I'm sitting with literary agents and I'm discussing your project. I'm getting feedback. Do they love it? Are they interested in considering it? Uh, would they like something slightly different? Is your positioning correct for your book? If you were willing to change your book and tweak it slightly, would you be open to it because an agent just said this is what they're looking for? This is all the kind of information that I can bring back to authors. And I typically will get, I mean, typically, eight to, I think the range has been eight to 17 agents and publishers interested in a project. That's amazing. Yes, and and what I'm getting when I'm there are promises of consideration for when your book is ready. 
which means your book does not have to be ready in time for the expo. There are certain promotional materials that I will create to bring with me. But outside of that, I have pitched ideas where not one word was even yet written. And I've also pitched all the way through completed manuscripts. Yes. Oh, wow. It sounds so exciting. It's energy. Yes. This event takes place in late May, May 29th to June 1st in New York. It is open to the publishing industry trade. And this is where I go to make the deals and really make deals happen. And I want to give you an idea, if I may, of a really exciting project. Um, I sold one right on the show floor this past May, which is usually unheard of. Usually publishers will say, yes, send it, we'll consider it. But I sold a memoir right on the show floor of the book expo to a publisher. When I pitched it, she said, I want it, I'm buying it. There are now publishers in 19 other countries considering this book. There are three Hollywood movie producers currently reading it. This is very, very exciting. It's a really powerful story. The book will be coming out in September for confidentiality reasons. I'm not going to mention it right now. But it's just a a really exciting thing. Congratulations. Thank you. It's like people's lives can change in an instant. I was just thinking that you help change people's lives. That's a life changer for that author. Yes. And for you. Yes. And it's fun. I believe in fun. This this has to be fun. This process has to be fun. Well, and I'd like to reference Crappy to Happy intermittently because it makes me think of your book, Crappy to Happy, and just the title, you know, it it makes me smile. And then reading it, there's some really great nuggets and gems of wisdom about, you know, discovering our purpose and living our dreams from a place of authenticity and... um, so you really do bring this this levity and deep knowledge to your field. You know, that's, that's true. And I also want to state that when I wrote Crappy to Happy, I was very much in a deep, dark, despairing place in my life. This was some years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was going through what's called a dark night of the soul. Yeah. And are, is that a term you're familiar with? Many people are familiar with it. But my joke is, why do they call it a dark night when it's never one night? Can we have a little truth here? It's more like the dark year and a half of the soul. And I was in one of those places in my life, and I wanted to know if it was actually possible for me to be happy in this lifetime. Because I hadn't experienced very much of it. And I had been clinically depressed for many years. Mm -hmm. And to know who to see and, and know who I am today is compared to where I was, I never could have believed it. But I created my life into an experiment. I decided I wanted to know if it was possible to truly be happy in this lifetime. So I decided for a year I would only choose those things in every single day that I thought would make me happy. Okay. And that was part of my process of moving from crappy to happy. Yeah. Another part was to ask myself daily, is this the most loving thing I can do for me right now? And I asked myself this question many times a day. What's the most loving thing I can do for me right now? And I listened to the answer to that. And that's how I started living my life. And it led me to writing a book. So I wasn't like, I'm I'm not just going to sit down. And I, I wasn't thinking I would just sit down and write a book. 
I wrote stories because for my life because they demanded to be written and because it was fun to write them. And after a while, I realized, oh, I have a lot of material. I must have a book. But if it is a book, what a book is it? <laughs> Eventually, right. it, it evolved into Crappy to Happy, and it led me into the whole world of publishing to where now I'm at a place where I've created tremendous success for so many other authors as well, helping them get agents and publishers. And what, what you're saying right now resonates with me, and I'm certain with our listeners, being a therapist, you know, assisting, helping people going through their dark years of the soul. And for myself, just, just coming out of a dark year of the soul, truly, and like I mentioned in the start, and, and just all that has come, uh, changed and transitioned as a result, and you talk about that, and that piece you just mentioned of, am I doing the most loving thing for myself, is something I have truly embraced you know, and having unconditional love for oneself and forgiveness, I think is an important piece of that. And, you know, and you address, you address that in your book, Crappy to Happy, as we can follow you transforming, you know, your life. Yes. And discovering more of your purpose. Yes. You know, I had some very powerful insights in the last month or so. I haven't even written about them yet, but I want to. And I, I'd love to share them. Please. Because, yeah, I can't, I have some insight. You know, I had some bills sitting on my desk. And, you know, one was one that I'm trying to get dissolved, a medical bill that I'm trying to get dissolved through a hospital. Another concern, like financial retirement plan stuff. I mean, just kind of what I would call like adult responsibility things that I was just putting off and putting off and putting off, like, you know, phone calls to uh, Blue Shield, you know, things that are not the most joyous activities, but they are adult responsibilities. So I had this pile of like two or three things just sitting on my desk for weeks and the week started to turn into months I was putting off my schedule to handle them on a particular day and then they weren't getting handled and I just kept pushing it off one morning I woke up I looked at my desk I looked at those papers and I said okay I'm handling it and I started making the phone calls for each one and handling them the best I could in the moment mm-hmm. and a very interesting thing happened as a result First of all, one, I felt better because I had handled those things the best I could in that moment. Yes. But then all of a sudden, my phone rang all day long with people inquiring and coming in as clients for editing services, for analysis of manuscripts. Really? And I realized in that moment, because there was such an influx of people calling, I realized that wherever we hold resistance, because I was resisting, handling those things, we're trapping energy. Energy is trapped. The flow, it's like we're clogging the flow. Yeah. The flow of all good things that can come to us from other places. And a lot of people might not even realize that there is a connection, but there is. I see it. There's a direct correlation between the two. Yes, wherever, whatever we're holding back on. And it happened to me this past week. I had two different medical appointments for <laughs> different different issues. So I was really, really afraid to make these appointments. I was afraid of painful treatments, you know, what might happen in both circumstances. So I put off these appointments for three months. So okay. again, I was holding back, holding back, holding back. 
I handled them. I, I just got on the phone. I did some internet searches. I found, found the right specialist I needed to go to. I went to one on Monday, one on Tuesday. And sure enough, the same thing happened. My phone started ringing with all kinds of people coming in with projects related to their books. Like, oh, wow. you unclogged again. The I've channel. been holding back. I've been holding back out of fear. Fear traps energy. Resistance traps energy. It clogs the flow. It's like when we handle those things that we're putting off, something, it's almost like something magical happens. The energy starts flowing again. Leads, new leads come in, new opportunities coming in. So that's just a really powerful insight I just got this, this week. And it reminds me, Randy, of in your book where you write about, uh, you, you, you learned it's not about figuring it out, but about figuring it in. That portion of your book, like the inside work, the inside job, and hacking away blocks to self-expression. It's reminding me of when I read that in your book. And finding yes. the freedom to take risks. It's very, very true. There, yeah. you know, there are the action steps to take on the outside. Because I do believe it's not just about uh, creating intentions and wishful thinking. It's really about taking action as well. So I think, I think both are required, the inner journey and the outer. Yes. And then things shift. Yes. Yes. Like, you know, a lot of times people ask me about, you know, they're, they're feeling stuck. How do you overcome feeling stuck? And I talk about, I call it how to unstick stuck. <laughs> one of the things that I realized that it's really a paradox because it requires, from what I see, two different things that are that are completely contradictory. One is that if you're in a depressed place or you're just feeling stuck, create physical movement. Mm-hmm. Physical movement creates energy. You're moving forward. Dance. Take a walk. Whatever it is that you do that creates physical activity, physical movement to help move stuck. The other thing that I discovered helps move stuck to sit in silence and do absolutely nothing. Mm. And that's what I did. I sat with candles every single day for about two weeks, about an hour and a half a day. I just sat there looking at candles. Wow. And my mind got so silent within those two weeks, I felt like I could hear the silence of a flame. I mean, it was really that, that silent. Oh, that's beautiful. And from that place, that's when I started thinking about you know, different things that had happened in my life. And I decided to just, you know, in, in my own quiet space, to start writing about these different stories. Yeah. And that was the beginning of Crappy to Happy. Okay. And I didn't know I was writing a book. I was just writing because there was joy in the process of writing. Yeah. And things just evolved. So whenever we follow those those golden threads, you know, those threads, where are we being led? Yes. And, you know, you wouldn't know this, but hearing you share about sitting and watching the candle flames, in the past year, I've become an avid meditator. And um, I'm also a cast glass artist. And I love staring at candle flames when I meditate. And I kind of looked for a more beautiful... Um, I don't know, flame to stare at or what the candle's in, and I couldn't quite find one. So I've cast my own line. It's it's handmade cast glass with rose quartz inclusions, and I'm going to, like, weld a, a tea light holder behind it so I can stare at the flame. And, you know, there's the rose quartz there being illuminated in cast glass because I found so much peace through meditation staring at the flame. So I know what you mean when you say you can even hear 
aflame when you're really still and really quiet and the peace it brings? I, you know, I love that you just shared that because I had no idea you were doing anything with candles or meditating. And I mean, what yeah, are the odds that I would start speaking about something like that? I think that's really fun. I think it's really fun. So you just really reinvented yourself. You really like, I mean, you write about letting go of the old me and tuning into spirit. Yes. And I was very much a part of that process at that time. And really, my path out of hell was to ask myself the question maybe 10 times a day, what's the most loving thing I can do for me right now? To really, really follow that. Because it's your own truth. It can be a very gentle truth. It can be an action step. It can be um, self-nurturing. Whatever it is for each person. Um, I really do feel like that's a significant way to get out of personal health. So, you know, I'm curious, how did your professional work transition and shift as a result of this personal journey during that time? What did you notice in addition to more calls and, you know, clients and work coming your way? Sure. Well, I was editor-in-chief of a national magazine, and then it was part of a major company that went under. So I lost that position. And my dream was to be a published author and to have a career as, you know, in, in writing, not just a, like a one book thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was really propelled by a dream by that point. And I was going to this book, Expo America, but I didn't have the connections that I needed at that time to get a book deal. Now, okay. I mean, now that I've been doing this for 17 years, I have mm-hmm. relationships built up with agents and publishers everywhere. But at the time, I did not. And I did manage to get an agent, but they had trouble selling the book because I didn't have enough publicity at that time. So at the same time, I was writing for a new national magazine. And I tell a story called How I Found Happiness by Working for Embezzlers. <laughs> yes, you are meant story? to laugh there. And yes, it is true. Um, I was writing for a magazine as a freelancer. And so I'm, you know, I'm just, everything's via internet and via email. So I, I think I met them once in person and I had written six months worth of articles for them. I was writing the, the majority of their national magazine, doing all these interviews and just, you know, writing about all these best-selling authors. And the day I was supposed to be paid, I got an email saying there's been a slight delay. Well, it turned out the mother of the publisher was the funding source for this magazine. And she had embezzled over $3.4 million from one of the major colleges in San Francisco where she was head cashier. It was pretty intense. So there was no money to pay me or to pay all the other people who were owed money. And this had been my exclusive job for six months and I was waiting on payment. So there was nothing. And some people will drown themselves with alcohol or drugs. My idea is to wander into a music store and play on instruments. Okay. <laughs> because I'm a musician, I play many instruments. And I decided, oh, I'll just go down to the music store and play. You know, just kind of, that's my escape. Okay. And I wound up finding a guitar in that music store that I went to. And I'm not an impulse buyer by any means, but I just knew, oh, my God, I must have this guitar. I'm left-handed, it's left-handed, it's custom. Oh, my God, the sound, the, just everything about it. I fell in love with this yeah. guitar, and I asked, I asked the man in the store, how much is it? 
and he said, $1,000. And I said, I will own this guitar within one month. Now, I had no money. I could barely yeah. handle the rent. It was just that one of those times, and maybe listeners can relate to this, where you just know that you know that you know. Yeah. You know you will make something happen. Hell or high water, you're going to make that happen. Right. And it was one of those moments. And a friend said, well, why don't you hold a show? You can ask your friends to prepay for tickets. And I thought, that's a great idea, except for two things. I'm terrified of performing, and I'm terrified of performing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But I was so motivated. I wanted this guitar so much, I said, yes, I'll do it. So a month, a couple of weeks before my show, I had raised $1,200. What? Which meant that a friend who had offered her house where I could hold the show, I had outgrown that space. So I actually wound up having to rent a space in, in one of the, the local churches had a, had a room for rent, and so I, I just rented a space. And the show was very successful. And I decided, you know, I wasn't going to play guitar for a full hour and a half show, so maybe I'll read some things from my manuscript. Okay. And then I started putting these little skits together. Well, the show was so successful, and I really did overcome my fear, that I started doing more shows. And right after that, when I went back to Book Expo America, and I started meeting with the publishers and saying, oh, yeah, I do this one-woman show. What? What? You do a show. Tell us about it. And within two weeks, I had a book deal. Randy, that's amazing. Because publishers loved that I had an audience. I had eyeballs on me. Publishers loved that. So, so what I say is, if I hadn't worked for embezzlers, there's no way I could there's have wound no up with my dream of being you know, a published author and then and, and, and starting on that whole new career path. So just so I'm clear, you started selling tickets for a show to, with the, for the guitar you didn't even have yet to raise the money to right. get it. And oh right. my gosh, so, that's yeah. Amazing. Yes. So I told, you know, one friend said, why don't you, you know, ask people to donate $20 for a ticket. And I had 60 people. And, oh, and here's another really fun thing. When I went to the store to buy the guitar and I had all that money in hand, they said, oh, there's been a mistake. My first thought, you know, my heart sunk. What, they sold it? And I'm thinking, no, wait a minute. It's custom. It's left-handed. It's $1,000. I mean, <laughs> what are the odds? And, and, and the person actually said to me, Oh, no, we discovered it's here on consignment. It's used. We'll give it to you for $400. No. Yes. So that enabled me to buy a special effects unit, a microphone. I mean, it's all different things that I also wanted, a case, and and, and still had money left over to cover my rent. Because you reached beyond your fear. Yes. Yes. And and since then, I've given over 300 talks. And one of the oh, things I've discovered, one of the things I've discovered that really helps people get over fear, and I actually wrote a blog about many different things that I've done, but one of the things that I, that I see is that there's always a pair of kind eyes in the audience somewhere. Hmm. I tell people, find the kind eyes. And it's somebody who's just absolutely beaming love to you. They're rooting for you. They may not know you. But you can just look in their eyes and you know they're really there for you. And that oh, just I really helps. That. It helps people to let go of um, one of the ways I helps people to let go of fear. I've never heard that said. And wow, to find the kind eyes. Yes. Ease your anxiety. Yes. 
Wow. You know, this this hearing your story reminds me, and I've never said this on the air, but I guess my one-year anniversary would be the time to share it. But I, I a year ago, I really wanted to start a radio show or some kind of, you know, TV podcast, but I felt so scared. Like, you know, it's totally stepping out of being one-on-one with clients or meeting with couples. And I'm in New Orleans one night and I was like, I just couldn't seem to reach out to the radio stations available that I had Googled. And I was like, well, I need something big to make me start this because I'm just too scared. So I had been seeing Marianne Williamson here in LA when she was at the Saban Theater each Monday. And, um, you know, I really respect her. I've read her books. So I just emailed her. I was like, if Marianne Williamson says she'll come on my show, I'll start a show. Thinking, I'm not going to hear from Marianne Williamson. And so I sent her an email. Marianne, I wondered if you've come on my <laughs> L.A. Talk Radio show. Mind you, I have no show. I have not even reached out to L.A. Talk Radio because I'm, I'm so convinced I'm not going to hear from her. Within three hours, she emails me herself, not her assistant. She's like, Lisa, I remember meeting you. How are you? How's New Orleans? I would love to come on your show. So I had to put my ass in gear and she came on my show in July and it was just like, that's how I started. I was like, well, now I have to get a show if she's going to come on. And I'm just so grateful and happy that, that I did because it pushed me to work through that fear. Uh, I love it. And it's such a perfect example of acting as if, you know, the second book I wrote is called the power of miracle thinking, which people can see at miracle People can see it at MiracleThinking.com, and one of the first stories in the book is about a friend of mine who, with her um, boyfriend, they decided to start a company that produced um, special effects for movies. This was way before, um, it was just at the early onset of of computer digitalization, and uh, so this was like a long, long time ago, and so they had like a, a small job through HBO, then they forgot about it, like, you know, three three things that they were doing, but they were small. And they forgot about it, and a year later, they decided to really pick up this idea and really go for it. So they contacted HBO, and this time, HBO needed, it was something like over 300 paintings or whatever it is they were doing. I mean, but it was like this huge, huge job, and the HBO executive asked them if they could handle it, and they said, oh, yes, of course. And he said, great, I'll be up to your studio in a week to see it, to see, you know, to see your outfit. Okay. Well, all they had was the name of a company and the phone they were calling from. And within a week, they manifested a warehouse that they were able to rent for a month, which was almost unheard of because, you know, usually rentals for a large space, you know, are, it's, I mean, it's going to be at least a year's lease. Um, okay, they were yeah. able to install... I have a phone installed. This was before cell phones. They were actually able to have a phone installed in the place. They rented file cabinets and cubicles for like a hundred different, a <laughs> hundred different little cubicles. I mean, it was their version of the steam. They didn't even have electricity in the building, so they glued on uh, those metal face plates. No, um, wait, come it was on. just hysterical. <laughs> they called all of their friends to call all of their friends and show up and be employees. They brought in props that, you know, supported the kind of work they did. They had somebody calling in on the phone every three or four minutes, you know, the same person just dialing over and over again so you, they could no. show how busy they are. I mean, it was hysterical. And, and when the executive came up, 
um, they met, they decided, you know, he just walked in and then, you know, just can kind of get an idea of it. And then they, they took him to a restaurant and, and my friend said that there was a well-placed, you know, comment about using the bathrooms before they left there. Uh, because they didn't even have a bathroom in the warehouse. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they had to show some kind of, like, PowerPoint display of the, the work that they do. So they, they mocked up all the work they needed. They ran a line from a bike shop next door uh, to into the so they had power. And they got this job. They got, the you know, the big job, and they actually won an Emmy for Best Visual Effects for That's that amazing. assignment. That is a miracle. And so, you know, when I asked my friend, you know, because in the book, The Power of Miracle Thinking, there are short stories, like, you know, this kind of story, and then there are three miracle thinking tips, because I wanted to know, what are the actions that people take or the insights that they have that really um, open the doors for miracles to happen? And so one of the miracle thinking tips that my friend gave, she said that whenever she picked up the phone and called somebody, if she got a no, she realized she's just not talking to the right person. Mm. And so she would keep calling, either the same company or, or, or a different company, and, you know, just just to keep keep calling. You know, she never got um, disappointed or, or, you know, just didn't bring her energy down. She kept her energy high and just kept calling. She also said they just acted as if. Wow. And I think those are really, really good things to, to keep in mind. It reminds me me when you said earlier about experiencing depression and movement, how go take a walk, go, you know, do something. And and I encourage clients, even if you're not, even if it doesn't feel good, like you're acting as if you were, you're going for a walk, even if you feel totally depressed, if you cannot see the colors, you know, in the green grass or the red flowers, you know, eventually you will because you're taking those steps, you know, to, to move energy you know, as you're moving your body physically. Yes. You know, there's a practice that I recommend that I call set up your day. Okay. And at the beginning of the day, decide on the day that you want to have ahead of you, the quality of it. So, for example, just in one sentence, today I asked for, today I asked for a day filled with a joyful surprise. Today I asked for a day where I get to work in peace. Today, I asked for a miracle to happen. I mean, just something really, really brief, and then just forget about it and see what happens in your day. It's amazing what happens, I discovered, when I set up my day. It's like pre-paving your day. Yes, pre-paving. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. And the day really unfolds. You know, I was writing a blog about it for the Power of Miracle Thinking one time, and I, I just happened to write as an example. Today, I set up a day with a joyful, magical surprise. And I was just doing it as an example in a blog, but because I had said that and written it, I got a phone call that afternoon, and my niece, who lives on the complete opposite coast, who had never been out to California where I live, turned out she was going to be a half an hour away from where I was that day. And we wound up meeting for dinner. I mean, it was a completely joyful, magical surprise. That is so magical and effortless. Yes, Yes. Another thing that I recommend for anybody going through depression, and actually you started talking about it as well, it's like the first thing I do in the morning when I get up is that I put on warm clothes and I get outside and I walk. Mm -hmm. And I have my walk that I do for about 20, 25 minutes. I do some pretty steep hills right now. 
And I realized that if I don't walk in the first thing in the morning, it doesn't get done. You know, I'm not in a depressed place. I'm doing it just for the the physical health of it. But I realize when I say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to just start my day just jumping on my email and just doing all these other things and I'll walk later in the day. It doesn't happen. Right. And so I realize I have to get myself out immediately first thing. So that's just part of how I set up my day. And that sounds like doing a loving thing for yourself straight it is. Yes, it is. Like beginning with that, an action that is loving, knowing it helps you yes. move the day better. Yes, and it's strengthening the body. You know, I'm in my 60s. It's a good thing to be doing. <laughs> right, right. You know, and I want to tell our listeners how you've been working with me. I've been working with you and how helpful. So anyone listening that wants to write a book, I recommend contacting Randy to help you. So we're working on this book proposal and um, Randy gives really concrete steps based on what I've submitted to her, you know, very direct. So there's no questioning what do I need to do what don't I need to do you've just helped me kind of shape this over the last three months into I hope something that will be published so I just want to thank you and I'm still working on it you're very welcome you're very welcome you know you mentioned a book proposal and for people who don't know yeah every nonfiction book project including memoir self-help mind body spirit business I mean just you know name any category of nonfiction any genre within it a full book proposal is required, and a book proposal is actually the key to selling the manuscript. And it's kind of like a business plan um, for the for the book. It's not a query letter. A query letter is a one one pager. You know, are you interested in kind of thing? A book proposal goes very much in depth, in which we're doing. Um, a competitive analysis, a market analysis, an overview of the project. We're convincing a publisher that your book is worthy of a, of, of their investment. Mm-hmm. There's many different sections to it. I just you know just named a few, and so that's what I've been working on with you, Lisa. Yes, that I want to have it done for you to to bring to the the book expo, America. Wonderful, wonderful. So for our listeners out there that might have self-published a book or wondering, do I self-publish versus find a publisher? Can you address that since I just have you today? Like all these questions are questions I had before before hearing you speak. You know, I like both methods. I'd be happy to address it. I like self-publishing and I like traditional publishing for different reasons. I've done both with my own books and, and again, for different reasons, I like both methods. And, I, and I'll share with you. Uh, there's a number of things I want to share about that. I also want to share about if you have a self-published book, how easy or hard is it to get a traditional publisher if you decide to go that route? So I'm going to cover please, all of this. Yeah, please address that. Yeah. All of it. So, for self-publishing, you have, there's two big pluses to self-publishing. One is speed to market, which means from the time you complete your book, all you have to do is to have the production work done by a graphic designer and get it up online through one of the print-on-demand companies, and you're ready to sell. So it can be a short process. It can be you know, a month to a month and a half to, to once, once the book has been analyzed, edited, the content is ready, then to just, you know, do the book cover and the graphic design and then, you know, get it to the, the, the printer, the proof, the proof copy, things like that. So roughly in a, a month and a half process. So a traditional publisher, 
it could take a year to a year and a half from the time they offer a contract to the time the book comes out. So if speed to market is a concern and you really want to get your book out quickly, then self-publish. If you want to make more money per book, self-publish. For example, my book, The Power of Miracle Thinking, sells for like 20 bucks. We make about 15 bucks a book. Okay. My book, Crappy to Happy, when it came out through a traditional publisher, sells for like around, I think it's like $13. Then I make, I was making a dollar a book. Okay. So if you want to make more money per book or speed to market is an issue, self-publish. Now, the thing with Crappy to Happy is that it got featured in the movie Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> Such a good Julia story. Roberts, Julia Roberts holds it up in a bookstore scene <laughs> in the first 15 minutes of the movie. That would not have happened with a self-published book. The uh. reason to go through a traditional publisher is especially if you want to get on more stages and speak, if you want to use this book as a lead-in to get media, you'll get much more media, much more publicity. If you want to grow a national audience, all of these things are reasons to get, or an international audience, definitely go for a traditional publisher. You'll be more respected. If you want to speak on stages and in corporations, get a traditional publisher. So the book becomes a vehicle to upsell your other services, which will Very obviously be more expensive. And for our listeners, so for traditional, for, for our listeners so as well, you've been helping me with that because I do want to speak publicly. So in, and even doing the proposal, you've been helping me kind of narrow down certain questions and takeaways. You know, so working with Randy, the whole, it's kind of like building all these baby steps to kind of, for me, build me to where I want to be in my career, which is speaking about my book and about these principles I'm writing about. So just to kind of share that with our listeners as well. It's been really cool. Yes, yes, yes. And so... I've had my authors with traditional publishers this past summer. I had one author. The book is called Finding the Wow. This is a woman who was a bored housewife, and she and two friends got together. They formed a group called the Chicks HR, and they decided to pursue the dreams they'd left behind. Mm -hmm. My company edited the book. I sold the book. It's called Finding the Wow. And and the author, MJ Markgraf, was given a full-page feature in Oprah Magazine in August of 2016. The book came out in May, and a few months later, she has a full-page feature in Oprah. That was pretty darn cool. That that kind of thing will not happen typically with a self-published book. Okay. You know, I had another one pivot on the the Wall Street Journal's bestseller list in July of 2016. Again, and that was like a six-figure book deal, uh, a bidding war between Simon & Schuster, HarperCollins, and McGraw-Hill. It was fun. Fun, fun, that sounds fun. amazing. Yes. That sounds like the stock market, running around the stock market floor, like bidding for, <laughs> for a book. Uh, it's like quite a visual. Wow. The work is exciting. Yeah, it is kind of like that. So in our last like five minutes that we have, uh, one thing I wanted to share in reading Crappy to Happy that I feel like it wouldn't be complete without mentioning how you dedicate this book to your grandmother. Ida Foreman and to our listeners it's such a beautiful story about your relationship with her interwoven into you know the how-to and steps to becoming a happier and more authentic person and I just really loved you know how you brought her to life in in that book yeah thank you 
Thank you. She represented complete unconditional love. I, I've uh, never known another being who was com- complete unconditional love. And, you know, she was certainly that for me. And I remember as a, I, one of the things I wrote in the book was when I was four years old, and I said to her, I love you so much, there are no numbers. Uh, <laughs> and it's something that she quoted back to me throughout my life in her thick Hungarian Yiddish accent. She called me Randola. Randola, do you remember you said? You know, then she would repeat that. I love you so much, there are no numbers. That is so beautiful. Yeah, it was very, very loving. I was close to my grandmother as well, who's passed on. So I was constantly reminded of Mimi as I, as I read you, you know, speaking about your grandmother. Yes, and, and yeah, she came to me. She's come to me many times in dreams, and always in metaphor. So, for example, a week after she had died. By the way, my new word for dying is graduating. The week after she graduated. I like um, that. Yeah, the so week after she graduated. And I'm actually using that term for all loss. Relationship falls apart. Oh, graduated from that one. Oh, I <laughs> like graduated. that. It's, it has such a yeah. different feel to it. Yes, yes, yes. So the week after she died, I saw or graduated. I saw her on the floor. Well, she looked gorgeous, but she was scrubbing. I'm going, what, what is she showing me? Oh, she's showing me she's working hard. So she's always come to me pretty much with these in, in metaphors, and I get the metaphors. And, yeah. and I think that's, you know, that's just very special. You know, yes. one of the things that I had said earlier was that I would uh, mention about, uh, I want to just get back to the book conversation very Please. briefly because I said I, I would talk about um, self-publishing and can you get a, a book deal yes. uh, with a traditional publisher if you self-publish. It can be very, very tough. And I, I just wanted to answer that. It's very, very hard. And I, I won't go into that now because our time is running down. I have done it. But it's not easy. Okay. <laughs> it's, Thank it's you much for coming easier back for to me. That. Yes. So it's easy, much easier for me to pitch a book that doesn't have a track record of sales than it is oh. to pitch a book that has a low record of sales. Oh, that makes sense. Yes. And if the sales are too high, then publishers will say, well, who does this person have left to sell it to? So it could be a double edged sword. So I just wanted okay. to put that in there. Thank and, you. <laughs> so I'm that. curious. Randy, and I like to ask every guest at the end of our show, what is it that you would like to leave, you know, as a legacy or be known for, or that's most important for you, and whatever way you'd like to answer that? Ooh, what a phenomenal question. Um, One of the things that I I want to, as part of my legacy that I want to leave, is just the thought to um, look for the yay-sayers instead of the naysayers. Because in our lives, there are too many people in the guise of wanting to, quote unquote, protect you, who will discourage you from really pursuing something that's part of your heart, part of your passion and your joy and your fun. Because they think they're protecting you. They think they're maybe they're financially that you're going to make a bad decision because you want to be a musician or an artist or whatever. Yeah. And what I say is those people are naysayers. They're not people who will hold your dream safely in their hearts look for the yay sayers yay sayers yeah i like that it reminds me of find those time, eyes in the audience when you're speaking those gentle eyes yes you're looking for the kind eyes the yay sayers and oftentimes it'll be new people who come into your life mm. 
I love that. Yeah. Randy, I want to thank you for coming on the show and let listeners know they can reach you, I know, through author, one, stop, all letters. How is that the best way to reach you or how do you want people to reach you? Yes, authoronestop.com. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Lisa. It was fun. You're welcome. It was fun. And I'm gonna get I'm getting back to work on the book. <laughs> so I'll have awesome. something for you next week. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Okay. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening in on this one-year anniversary show. If you joined in late, I made an offer for anyone that listens to this show uh, who would like to be a new client. I will give. Uh, I will gift a complimentary uh, in-person Skype, phone, or FaceTime therapy session. It's a hundred and fifty-dollar value. If you just reach out to me at nolatherapy.com and say that you heard this one-year anniversary show with Randy Pizer of Author One Stop. Thank you, and I'll be back next week. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir.